I, I kind of fought with God a little bit, and, and we can all imagine how that went. You know, you, <clears throat> I, I, I get guilty of looking at the calendar and thinking, hey, I need to get things done in a certain time, and, and God may have other plans, because I really wanted to just do this as an outline and then beg you to go digging deeper on your own. And, and originally this message was going to be tools for building a family team. And, and that would still be a big overlining caption of this, but we're really only going to get to talk about one of the tools today. And, and that tool is simply finding the value of the family. And, and, and there's some ways that you go about doing that. And, and we're going to look at scripture. And, and I'm, I'm just going to give you the heads up. The, there's an early part of this that if you're not an avid reader of the Old Testament, you're going to be uncomfortable with it. And that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> I was uncomfortable with it because it's like, God, you're really asking me to preach from that section of scripture. And yes, yes, he is. So... We'll all be uncomfortable together. And here's the thing about being uncomfortable is that's often your time for biggest growth. No one grows in the comfort zone. That, that's a t-shirt from the weight room, okay? But it's a great reality of life. You don't really grow when you're comfortable. And, and thank God that that's evidenced all through nature. The butterfly will not fly if you cut open its chrysalis for it. It won't fly, it'll fall to the ground and die. If, if a kernel of wheat doesn't struggle to put down roots and push to the surface, it will never produce a, a, a crop. And you know, there, there's more and more evidence. You know, <clears throat> if, if no one's there to assist you and you decide not to push while having a baby, you and or the baby will die. These are biological laws, I didn't write them. So, you know, keeping with that, we'll be uncomfortable and we'll grow together today. All right. Again, this whole series is based on the idea that the most effective attack the devil has made on the church is the deconstruction of the family unit. And, you know, it's, it's not accidental that we see more and more of this going on in our society it is a design plan and it's not designed by some conspiracy people in the white house or trying to take the white house those are not the conspiracies we're talking about this is a plan that has been put in motion by the enemy of your soul since the beginning of time he did not come to adam and eve in the garden and say hey you know why don't we do this he picked one he attacked one it was not a go at them while they're together. Okay, go pay attention to the narrative. I'm not blaming Eve. I'm blaming the devil because he's good at what he does. He knows that a family unit, a husband and wife and children who are a family on mission are impossible to beat because they're in the design of God the Almighty and what God puts into motion is unstoppable. So, <clears throat> the first thing we're going to look at is the value of family. And, and 
And this is not the uncomfortable part. This was pretty easy for me to get. Abraham argues with God. Anybody else argue with God? I just confessed I do it. Anybody going to raise their hand and say, hey, I argue with God sometimes? Because if you don't, you don't have a real relationship with God. I will tell you that. If you want to live and say, I have a relationship with God, you're not always going to agree and you're going to have to talk it out with him, which by definition is an argument. Or as we like to call them in our house, intense moments of fellowship. And, and Abraham is having an intense moment of fellowship. And this is one of the few times where he kind of balks at what God has said and he doesn't get rebuked for it. Okay, you, you go reading the rest of the narrative of Abraham's life and other times when Abraham kind of pushes back against God, God, you know, pulls out that big finger, you know, and says, now listen here, this is not one of those times. And it's really, really interesting, but we don't have time to dive into that. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? And, and another translation is this says, what do all of these blessings you're giving me matter? And here's why. For I continue childless. God, why are you telling me you're going to bless me with all of this stuff if I don't have anyone to pass it on to? And this is Abraham's problem. He says, I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. The guy that's in my will that's going to get all my stuff is not Eleazar, son of Abraham. He's Eleazar of Damascus. He's not even in my family. Ouch. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Can you hear the heartbreak in Abraham's voice? And I want you to understand that Abraham is, is kind of the model that we've been looking to for how to build a family team. And does Abraham get it right all the time? Praise God, no. I'm glad that we can learn from someone else's mistakes. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And in reference to Eleazar, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought Abraham outside. This is not a rebuke. God takes him outside and he gives him a greater blessing than he'd ever spoken to him. He says, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are so able to number them, he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we'll see that show up all throughout Scripture. It comes back to this moment as a teachable moment to us about how faith in God is a legacy that leads to righteousness. Okay? <clears throat> how are we counted as righteous? Because we accept Jesus' sacrifice for our sins that we claim Jesus' sacrifice. We have a testimony of that. That is faith. Because were any of you there to see Jesus crucified on the cross? Have any of you seen him physically raised from the dead? We're doing it by faith, which is why Jesus said we would be greater than the people who came before us, which I struggle with. Because man, Peter, man, that dude was good. Now... 
I'm, I'm still wondering about Peter's legacy because he was married. He had a mother-in-law. But how many times do we hear about Peter's kids? How many times do we hear about Peter's grandkids? Okay. That I'm, I'm not picking on New Testament, guys. And if all you ever study is the New Testament, God bless you. But you've missed it. Because the New Testament is written from a perspective of people who grew up knowing the Old Testament. We're given the Old Testament by the grace of God so that the New Testament fully makes sense. And we'll come back to that. Don't worry. When our view of the value of the family lines up with God's design, we begin to grow as a team. God's design was never for Abraham to have all of these blessings and leave it to someone outside of his family. Because Abraham knew the real value of all of the blessings was being able to pass it on to his heir. Okay? That's a mindset we have to operate from starting out today. Scott's greatest blessing is not all the stuff he has, but what he passes on to his three children. What I pass on to my five children. Hopefully I get to see my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren because I want to keep passing these things on. I want to be multi-generational. There's four keys to understanding the value of the family. The first one is you have to understand in the value of a family, individual rights versus family responsibility. Everybody take that deep breath and get ready to get uncomfortable. Okay, this is one of the most uncomfortable passages of scripture because it is old Levitical law and it's, it's tough. Okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, and if you wanna go there and read this whole thing, you can. You don't have to, I'll break it down for you. But if you go read it, it's gonna be like, man, that is actually kind of different and interesting. Okay? <clears throat> In verse five, if two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her and produce a child with her to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. The first son she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. Okay? That, that's not comfortable. <laughs> that, that is awkward in our society. But we have to get our mindset focused on the right part of the story. The right part of the story here is to not fulfill your duty to your family meant a disgrace before the entire nation as the legacy of your family. If you go on to read it and the brother-in-law did not fulfill those requirements, the widow was allowed to take him in front of the leaders of the, of the community and bring accusation against him for not doing it. Okay? And then... The elders of the community would try and remind him of his sacred duty. And if he still failed to do it, she was given the right in public to take his sandal off his foot, to spit in his face as a physical sign of his family would carry the shame of not taking care of their own for the rest of time. How many of you 
would want to carry the shame of not taking care of your family, that that becomes your legacy. Where, you know, we'll just pick Garrison, who's unmarried. This is easy. You don't have any of these ties. We're good. Garrison is going to no longer be known as a great Christian man who is upright standing in the community. He's going to be known as the man who didn't take care of his family. And, you know, he was a good-for-nothing scumbag. Anybody want that as your legacy you leave to your children? Because it doesn't ever show you in Levitical law a way to break that cycle. The, the thing we have to begin to look at as the church is if our families are going to be multi-generational, what we do in this moment impacts the legacy of our family for generations to come. We're blessed better than the people of the Levitical law because we have grace on our side. If your daddy was a, you know, one of the, your great-granddaddy, we'll go great-great, we got to go great-great to get here. If your great-great-granddaddy was like a scumbag bootlegger of the Prohibition era and was a bank robber and, you know, we'll, we'll just keep listing all these atrocious crimes that he committed is that who you are today? And Coy's over here smiling. I'm thinking there's a story. But, but you know, it, I, I look at Coy and I don't see that history, but he's smiling really big, which makes me, man, I got to wonder. But that's not the legacy that you have to carry on. Because by grace, you can start right where you are building a multi-generational family with the legacy of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and that becomes who you become known as. I, I, as long as I live, and I will proudly say that I am the son of Danny Manning. Now, when I say that in Kansas, it confuses people to no end, but that's Okay. I get to tell them about my dad. But I carry that legacy. And, and I fulfill my duty first to my family. Because if you fulfill your duty everywhere else but to your family, and we're going to get to that in a minute, there's, there's scripture against that. And, and it says that you're worse than an unbeliever. I can't think of a, a bigger punch in the stomach to me as a man, as a Christian man, to, to look at parts of my life and realize in, in some areas of my life, I've been worse than an unbeliever. That's a big ouch. Okay, the second thing in, the, in understanding the value of family is you have to understand family responsibility versus your responsibility to God. And... You know, real quick, survey in the room. If you are a minister of the gospel, raise your hand. Okay, we got a few people that get it. Okay, if, if you don't get it, let me take you back to Matthew and Mark. They both ended their gospel with going to the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. That, that's called the Great Commission. So if you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are commissioned by God to share the gospel making you a minister of the gospel. So let's try that again. If you are a minister of the gospel, raise your hand. All right. Now, here's what people really struggle with is 
and and I, because I'm a full-time minister of the gospel, I, I view myself as that. I struggle with this. And in verse Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, and, and if you read the New Testament in order, you get through there, you look at it, and it really looks like ministry is a single man's game. I mean, Paul goes all over the world as a missionary. Peter, the majority of the time we see him, he's not with his wife or his mother-in-law. He's going around doing ministry. All these guys seem like single dudes going and doing ministry. And, and that became, because that's what we focused on, the model of ministry is that we just go and do it. And, and we go do it as a single man. And, and we missed it. And that's why First Timothy hurts because Paul gets on here and he says, command these things as well so they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How many of you, <clears throat> present company included, grumble about having to go do things for your parents or your in-laws? Garrison, don't smile so big. <laughs> You'll get there, I promise. Guess what? When it says to provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, this is based on that generational model that when mom and dad are getting to the age where they need help, you move them in. I'm not trying to put nursing homes out of business. God bless them. But who's going to care for your parent better? If you're physically able to care for them, who will care for them better, the nursing home or you? I'm, I'll tell you a little fact. You know, some, nah, I better not share that one. <clears throat> if they move in with you, you know, they probably want to die sooner. But no, <laughs> no, uh, that's horrible. My, my parents, you know, would want to kill me, not them die sooner. But, um, but when you don't care for your household, your first duty by God is to care for your household. This is a quote that I found. I want, I want to see if you can tell me who said this. I regret that I didn't spend more time with my family. This was an interview with a man who'd been in ministry the majority of his life. And Christianity Today did this interview, and this is, this is one of the statements that just stuck with me. And it blows my mind because I saw and I've studied how God moved in a mighty way through this man. The Reverend Billy Graham had one regret, that he didn't spend more time with his family. And that's not reserved to him because I, I can promise you that the majority of, of men, I'll speak for men, I can't speak for women, but the majority of men, when they face the end of their life, this is a regret that most men will face. I wish that I had spent more time with my family. Now, now there's plenty of mothers that are in the same boat because of our culture pushing mom out of the home more. But, man, what a, what a heartbreaking thing to think Billy Graham, who preached to stadiums of people sharing the gospel and saw stadiums of people respond to the call of God, 
And his regret is that he didn't spend more time with his family. The Old Testament is full of family examples. You, you go back through, and especially Genesis, you'll see over and over again how they're pushing things to happen for the good of the family. We, we want you to go and to, to find a wife from these people because they're, they're like family. Or they literally were family, which we won't get into the Arkansas side of the, New, the Old Testament. But, but some of that was designed by God to keep the same structure and belief system in place. And, and again, it's a time you have to understand the time and the culture. But the New Testament always points back to the Old Testament if you pay attention. It may be subtle little things like you remember the law. Well, guess what? Most New Testament churches, they don't know what that means. We, we think about the law as just a list of things you can't do. Instead of, hey, this was a list of guidelines to help you live a life that pleased God. The law was there to help you. And Jesus talked about it being your teacher. That it was the teacher so that you would see that I'm the fulfillment of the law. But both testaments agree to this fact that our first duty to God is our family. And in Solcom, we have a phrase for this. It's first ministry first. That while I love speaking directly to the hearts of men. I love men's ministry. It's my, one of my favorite things now. Used to be teenagers and somewhere along the lines I quit speaking their language. It's a terrible thing about aging is eventually you kind of get cut off like, you know, this, you know, anything that calls itself country music after about 1998, there's only about a handful of songs that are still country music. I don't know if it's that way with rock and roll. Dale, when did rock and roll quit being rock and roll? I, people, we laugh, but it's reality because we all hit that stopping point. You know, these kids today think their mumble rap is rap. Go back to the 90s. We had rappers. I mean, now rap is in country. Oh, okay. I, I got to quit chasing that rabbit. Our first ministry, our first ministry is to our family. And, and that, that becomes a struggle a lot of times because we, we feel called to do all these other things. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, that I told the administration in our interview when we went to Buffalo. I, I just looked them dead in the eye and I said, this is the reality of it is that if this job starts to come between me and my family, this job will go. I, I have said it from this pulpit. If being your pastor comes between me and my family, being your pastor will go. Because my first ministry are those six people in my house. And, and beyond that, because we're multi-generational, I, I still minister to my parents minister to my in-laws some of the time I mean to me they're like mega Christian it's hard to minister to those people because they are they've been living the life my whole life and beyond the third thing about 
placing your value in the family is you have to learn to build team spirit. And the first time, I'm just being real, the first time I typed that out, I misspelled it, and it said teen spirit, and a Nirvana song kicked off in my head. So if I start bobbing my head up here, it's, I'm a product of the 90s. But you have to value building team spirit. And, and we're starting to incorporate this in our family. And, and, you know, she's walking out the room, so it's like, do I talk about her anymore or not? Um, <clears throat> Denise has been exceptional at this the majority of our, our married life with kids. That we use the, the words we, us, and our about a lot of things that people normally don't. And, and it's because we want our children to adopt a, a different mindset when it comes to family. And, and Ruth had this. And, and Boaz tells Ruth in, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, he says, May you be blessed by the Lord. And he, he referenced her as my daughter because she's significantly younger than him. If you missed that part of the story, go read Ruth. It's a fascinating love story. But <clears throat> you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Meaning that you chose to value your family over your individual gain. Because Boaz was part of the, the family, and you go back to that uncomfortable scripture in Deuteronomy, and, and this is a semi-fulfillment of that. Because a member of the family, which was called a kinsman redeemer, and, and also a, a type of Christ, if you want to look it up, uh, meant that he would marry her so that she would remain part of the family. And he was single, hallelujah, makes it less awkward for us. He was older than her, and she could have, with her age and her beauty, according to Scripture, she could have chased after younger men. She could have chased after young, wealthy men, because I always make the joke, Denise, you married the first time for love, next time marry for money. I make that joke, and I'm, I'm going to outlive her so I get to make that joke. I'm, I'm going to live way longer than her because I'm more stubborn. And, and I want her to get to see Jesus first. But with our children, we're trying to get across to them that the fact that we have more siblings means you're more blessed. Okay, The more siblings we have, the more blessed we are. I know that's hard when you're the oldest. I'm a middle child, I get it. Okay, oldest child over here is kind of scowling at me. Oldest biological child is scowling at me here. So, <clears throat> but when you start to see your siblings are all on our team. They're all on our team. Doesn't mean you're always gonna like them, but they're all on our team. When, when I corrected some bad behavior by Titus earlier this morning, he wasn't wanting to pick up toys. I got down on his level. I looked him in the eye and I said, this is what our team needs you to do. Are you on our team? Yes, daddy. Then I need you to go pick up because we need you to pick up so that we have a clean floor to walk across. He turned, walked, and went and picked up because part of how we're wired as people is we long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. 
Family is more important than individual accomplishments. That, that one doesn't need a lot of explaining. If you don't get that, reminder way back to prayer time how we're selfish, talk to God about your selfishness. Okay? The family is more important than my individual accomplishment. Okay? The last one that our, I try and get across to our kids, and hopefully it starts to rewire some of how we approach this as families in our church, is we're the main coaches of our family. Denise and I are the coaches. We're the main coaches. And we're trying to do what is best for our team as a whole. We're not trying to pick on one kid and give one kid more time and affection than the others. That, and, you know, there's times where, where it might look like that. And I'll just tell you, the, doing the best for your whole team doesn't mean everyone gets equal opportunity. <clears throat> doesn't mean that at all. And, and yet, as parents, we about break our necks trying to make sure that everybody gets equal. If you don't believe me, just go check yourself at Christmas time. Because you'll start comparing what you spent on each kid if you're worried about equal. Grandparents are running into this. If they watch this, I'm, I'm not being mean, but they're, they're horribly worried that they're going to see more of one kid's ball games this summer than the others. Grandparents are laughing because it's, it's a struggle. Because you think, man, I got to be equal. No, you don't. You do what you can do. You do the best that you can do. And maybe the best that you can do is you make one game for a t-baller. Bless your heart. Those are hard to sit through. And, and you make two softball games because your schedule allowed it. You know, if you were to ask my daughters who their hitting coach is, they'd tell you it's dad. And it's not a knock on their little league coaches. I love their coaches. I'm eternally grateful I'm not coaching little league. But we spend a lot of time together, just us, working on hitting. So if I'm at their game and I yell something to them from the stands, they make that adjustment, whether their coach is yelling at them or not, because I'm their coach first. And so far, their coach and I have not butted heads over that because I don't coach any other kid on the team because I haven't invested the time in that kid. I'm not going to change Garrison's swing because I've not worked with him. But I've spent hours with Audrey and Jovi so they recognize me as their coach. And I coach our family in life. The last one, and, and I'm going to need some help up here in a second, is quantity time. Now, American culture tries to convince you of this lie called quality time. That if you set aside part of your time to spend with your family and you fully unplug and spend it with them, you gave them quality time. I, I will call that what it is. That is a lie from the pit of hell that is sugar-coated so it goes down easy. Your kids don't need quality time from you. They need quantity. Your family doesn't need quality time. They need quantity. 
Because if you're going to be on mission together, if you're going to do this thing the way God designed it to, you have to put family ahead of everything else. That's not comfortable to say. Sometimes putting family ahead of everything else will look awkward to your extended family. I'll just tell you. It'll look awkward. It'll feel uncomfortable because it's not normal. I'll just tell you the Bible says you're called to be a peculiar people. There's nothing normal about that. In Mark chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is just... This is when he comes onto the shore and he sends a legion of demons out of a man. And they go into the herd of swine and the swine go off and the people ask him to leave because they were uncomfortable. And the guy that had been possessed comes to him and begs him that he might go with them. And Jesus' response, he didn't permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Don't come with me. You've already had your moment with me. Go spend your time with your family and your friends. That's not comfortable. No, no, wait. That's not comfortable at all. Because life wants us to put everything in compartments. Garrison, I need your help a minute. Okay. Garrison is, you have to come up here so the people on the screen can see it too. Garrison's, Single guy, I love single guys. They're easier to work with. Guy, single guy. Single guy is going to carry a load. Okay? First compartment is worship. Uh, the next thing, you know, because he's, he's trying to do it right. He's putting God first, so he's got worship. The second thing, he's a good man because he has friends. Okay? We're all friends here. Garrison has to have a hobby so he doesn't lose his mind. Okay? Every now and again, he still comes home because mom and dad are family. And last but not least, he was raised right. He knows not to just be a burden on his family the whole time. So he goes to work. But he has all these separate compartments for that. Because I'm not really worried about my family while I'm at work. I'm not worried about my hobby while I'm at work. Uh, I probably don't work with too many of my friends because that friend relationships and work means we don't get a lot of work done. No, no, that's not right. Anyways, and and worship, I'm I'm still going to keep it down there kind of as a foundation. And we have all these compartments. And, And women, I'll just give you insight into the mind of men. Men are natural at compartment we put things in compartments because it 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 allows us when when we're out working on the tractor we're not spending all that time thinking about how mad you are at us because we're out here working on the tractor we're just going to work on the tractor we're not out here thinking about how your car air conditioner is not working we're working on the tractor okay there's a reason that that men in history have been the ones that go to war. Because if you're out there thinking about anything other than shoot the guy that's shooting at you, you end up dead. Okay? That's just the way it works. 
Now, my wife, this is my wife's testimony. She may just be a unique woman. She told me she can have 10,000 thoughts going through her head and be shuffling things around, even in the, the happy, fun moments of life. You know, instead of just, I'm enjoying this bowl of ice cream, it's, man, you know, I got to get those papers graded and little Susie's not reading on the right level. And I mean, she's just, where I'm sitting here like, man, I wish I had a bigger scoop of ice cream. <laughs> Okay? Life wants us to take our life and put it in all these compartments. And, and if you put your family in a compartment away from everything else, you can justify that all of these other things are getting my time. The most precious resource I have, time. And the world teaches us that our children are not assets, they're liabilities. And you can't devote too much of your time to liabilities because then you're not developing your assets. You know you can't list your children as an asset when you go to get a loan. I was hoping Jeff would be here to back me up on this. Loan officers will not say, oh, you've got five kids. Those are assets, brother. Let me, you know, let me extend your line of credit. No, they think they're a liability. One of those five is probably going to kill you. And we're not going to get our money back. You know, that's the way our world views our children and our family. But what happens, what does it look like if all of these other compartments, we'll get rid of some of this for you. What's it look like if all the other compartments run through this box? What if worship runs through your family? What if work runs through your family? Hobbies, friendships, any other compartment you have, what if it runs through your family? I'll show you scripturally what it looks like. It says, come unto me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When everything in your life becomes run through the filter of this is with and for my family, your life gets a lot more peaceful. Because you're a part of the family of God. And if everything in your life is directed towards the family of God, you find that rest for your souls. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that you put an extreme value on family so much that you called us to be a part of your family. God, we just, as we go our separate ways today, ask that you would help us to continue to grow and to build strong families. And Lord, to do our very, very best to love each other and to love you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.